ask that you would turn with us in God's holy word this morning to Ecclesiastes chapter 6, where this morning we will be looking at verses 1 through 9 of Ecclesiastes chapter 6. And this text this morning will bring us to the halfway point in the book of Ecclesiastes. And from here on out, Solomon will begin to reflect on themes and ideas and topics uh, that he has already talked about in the first half of Ecclesiastes. That's the way that wisdom literature typically works, is it looks at a series of topics and then it goes back and, and reflects on them and chews on them and looks at them from different angles. And so after today, uh, we're going to take a break from the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll have a few uh, sermons surrounding the Easter season. And then after uh, Easter, we will begin a series looking at the parables of Jesus, the parables of Jesus. But don't worry, after enough time has passed that we forget about life under the sun and above the sun, we will come back, Lord willing, to the book of Ecclesiastes, where we will be reminded once again. Uh, so that is the plan, uh, Lord willing. But this morning we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 6 and looking at verses 1 through 9. This is the reading of the word of God. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place? All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Let us pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask that this morning you would work through your word as you have said you would to open our hearts and our minds to receive it from you. This is your word for us today. Lord, we ask that you would prosper your word in our hearts and minds, that we may go forth and in the power of your Holy Spirit bear fruit from this passage in keeping with repentance and humble submission to your sovereign providence and your holy purposes. Through Christ our Lord and Savior we pray. Amen. In our sermon last week, God speaking through Solomon tells us that we should enjoy the portion of life that God seems fit to give to us. If God sees fit to bless us with wealth or 
power or possessions, we should be content with those gifts and through those gifts enjoy God. If God sees fit to bless us with little wealth, no power, and not many possessions, then we should be content with what we have and through those gifts that we do have, enjoy God. The good life, the simple life, is contentment with godliness. For in that, there is great gain. There is great joy, there is great happiness, there is great satisfaction. And Solomon continues this theme in our passage this morning, but he looks at it from another perspective. Last week's perspective is that money and possessions and power as ultimate means in life will not satisfy and will not bring enjoyment if that is what you're living for. If, if money and possessions and power, if those are your idols, then your life is empty. It is vanity. It is hebel. Today's perspective, though, is the vanity, the emptiness of not enjoying what God has given to you from his sovereign hand. And so I've titled the sermon this morning, Not Enjoying One's Possessions. And so first in verses 1 through 6, I want you to see uh, that Solomon talks about not enjoying one's possessions. That's our first point this morning, not enjoying one's possessions. Last week, Solomon said, it is good to have and enjoy God's gifts. God is not a, a cosmic killjoy. Okay, so many times people, people tend to think of God as this cosmic killjoy, and God doesn't want us to have fun, and God doesn't want us to be happy, and we just, maybe it's our fault that we give off that impression to an unbelieving world because we go around moping, or we go around with straight faces and no smiles on our face. But, but God is good to us, to his children, and he gives us gifts in this life for our good to sustain us and for our enjoyment on our way to the celestial city. But now this morning we read of a person who has God's gifts. Look at verse 1, or, or verse 2, excuse me. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. God has given this person everything but the evil, the vanity that Solomon sees in this situation is that God does not give him the power to enjoy them. Instead, a stranger enjoys the wealth and possessions and honors that God had originally given to this first person. In Solomon's case, God had promised to give to Solomon Quote, riches, wealth, and honor like none of the kings before you, according to 1 Kings chapter 3. In the days of Moses, Yahweh said, Remember the Lord your God, since he is the one who gives you the power to get wealth. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 17 and 18. Or as Job puts it in Job chapter 1, it is the Lord who gives. It is the Lord who gives. The Lord has given this man everything so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. But the flip side of Job's statement is that as the Lord gives, so also the Lord takes away. 
the Lord has taken away the ability for this person to enjoy his wealth, to enjoy his possessions, to enjoy his honor. And he doesn't get to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. Not only do good times and abundance of material blessings come from the Lord's hand, but so do bad times and times where we lack material blessings. Now Solomon does not give a particular reason as to why somebody else is getting to enjoy this person's possessions. Sometimes we do not get to enjoy the blessings of this life because of death. In which case, our possessions go to family or to friends, or in some cases, it goes to the government if a person dies without a will, or if a government tries to step in and overstep its proper bounds. Sometimes war can strip us of our possessions and the enjoyment of them. Sometimes theft can strip us of our possessions and the enjoyment of them, and sometimes it is our heart because of our sin that does not allow us to enjoy the possessions that have been given to us by God. What do all of these reasons that I've, lim I've listed here, and to be sure there's others, that's just a, a sampling. Uh, there can be other reasons that we're stripped of our ability to enjoy uh, what we have from God. What do they all have in common? They all have sin at the root. They all have sin at the root. War. Why are there wars? Ultimately, it comes back to sin. Death. Why is there death? Death is a result of sin entering the world. Theft is a sin. Our heart's lack of contentment and enjoyment is caused by sin. Ultimately, sin, whether it's our own sin internally from our hearts or the sins of others external to us, ultimately, sin does not allow us to enjoy what God has given to us. And this is a grievous evil in a fallen world because it's the exact opposite of God's good design. Sin robs us of the enjoyment of God and his good gifts. If we begin to idolize our possessions, then we lose out on the happiness of enjoying God as our ultimate good. Breaking any of the first tablet of the law causes us to lose out on enjoyment of God, for we were created to worship God. The truly happy and blessed life is worshiping the one true God in the way that he has prescribed for us to worship him, and especially on the one day that he has reserved for worship. So too, breaking any of the second tablet of the law shows that we do not truly love ourselves because of the way that we are showing a lack of love toward others. This too ultimately traces back to God who created us in his image and calls us to treat others in the same way that we would want to be treated. And in doing so, we demonstrate the love of God that he has poured out in our hearts. The truly happy and blessed life, in addition to worshiping God in the manner of which he is worthy, is also in serving God and demonstrating our faith through love demonstrating our faith 
in action. And sin's aim is to rob us of portions of enjoying God are all of our enjoyment of God. The devil does not want you to be happy in what God has seen fit to give to you and to bless you as his children. Satan does not want you to be happy. He does not want you to be content. God wants us to enjoy him. It's the first answer to the first question in the shorter catechism. It talks about enjoying God, and we enjoy his good and gracious providence towards us, as well as those times when he tests us or sends us through sorrowful and hurtful trials. Because even those ultimately are for your good and my good. Now Solomon continues in verse 3 here, and in verses 3 through 6, I want to be careful because this can be a, a very sensitive topic, but Solomon here talks about how it would be better to have never been born than to have all the things of God and yet not be satisfied with them and enjoy them to the glory of God. If a man fathers a hundred children, I don't know if that would be a, something to enjoy or not, but here Solomon, <laughs> here Solomon is talking about it as something to be enjoyed. If a man fathers a hundred children, and he lives many years. And down in verse 6, even though he should live a thousand years twice over, if he was to live twice as long as the patriarchs who lived 900, close to a thousand years, if he lived twice as long as the patriarchs in Genesis and had all these children and all of these years of life, and yet his soul, back up in verse 3, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things. I say, Solomon, that a stillborn child is better off than he. Scripture talks about how children are a blessing from the Lord, as well as long life. Just a sample, Psalm 127.3, children are an inheritance from the Lord. They are called a reward Children are described as coming from God using the language of money and wealth. In Proverbs 3.16, long life is said to be in the right hand of Lady Wisdom, and she gives it to those who lay hold of her. We tend to think of material possessions as things, but Scripture says that material possessions include children and long life. According to Scripture, you can not have a lot of money, but still be materially blessed by having children and living a long life. But whether it's an early death that robs one of enjoyment, or in this case, a, a long life full of children, but his soul is not satisfied. In that case, a stillborn or miscarried child is better off, according to Solomon. Why? Look at verses 4 and 5. The stillborn child comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Nope, this, this child has no reputation. This child does not get to see the sun or to know anything, but yet it already finds rest rather than that man who is not satisfied and whose soul is not able to find rest in the enjoyment of God's gifts and earthly possessions. 
A stillborn child finds rest without having experienced all of the heartache and the trouble that comes from a, a lack of enjoyment in whatever one may possess. If you are never satisfied, if you are never content, Solomon says, it doesn't matter if you live 10 years or 100 years or 2,000 years. It doesn't matter if you get to see your great, 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 great grandchildren. Whether in little or in much, a lack of enjoyment and satisfaction means a life lived meaninglessly and empty. The stillborn child never has the opportunity to know and enjoy what is good. This person who lives has the opportunity to know and enjoy good through wealth and children and long life, but this person does not use it as such. And so this person ends up with misery. And even his burial, verse 3, is a dishonorable thing. He has no burial. In Hebrew thought, Solomon is describing what, what is called a bad death. There, there was good death and there was bad death. A good death was to live to a ripe old age and see your children walking with the Lord. A bad death was... Suffering, being torn apart by animals or, or being killed by a plague or being killed in any sort of sense that gave, gave evidence or, or uh, could lead one to think that they were dying because of God's judgment or punishment for sin. As Dr. Belcher puts it in his commentary, quote, It is better to miscarry at birth than to miscarry in life. If one cannot enjoy life, it is better not to enter life at all. That is what Solomon is saying here. That's how bad it is to have and to not enjoy. It is better to have no experience of life whatsoever than to have a joyless life, than to have a dissatisfied and discontent life. But that implies how wonderful it is to have both, to have possessions and wealth and honor from God as well as the ability to enjoy them. It's a wonderful blessing from God. This means that we as Christians are called to see the blessings and enjoyment in everything of this life, from the greatest to the smallest things. The fact that some of you here today are in your 60s or 70s or 80s, that is a blessing from God. It may not feel like it at times. Sure, the bones may ache and creak a little bit more, and the hearing may not be quite as good as it used to be, and you may not be as physically fit as you once were, but so what? God has blessed you with years of life that though not perfect, and it's had its moments of grief and hardships, or perhaps they've been seasons rather than moments, Nonetheless, it is good because a good God has given it to you for your enjoyment, for your good. And through that, he calls you to enjoy himself, to enjoy God. We are called to enjoy the things of this life as gifts from God. To enjoy God's creation from the world and its weather, even the cold and even the heat, to the animals that God made, the skills given to us, to, whether it's to create art or to create beautiful music or, or insightful and fantastic literature, the gift to inspire students and shape and form their minds and their hearts as the next generation to possess this earth and to shape culture, 
the gift to build buildings and houses where people can live and work and eat and enjoy being together as a family. The gift to love one another. The gift to submit to one another. Every aspect of this life from work to rest, from mental and emotional health to physical and spiritual health, skills and abilities, hobbies, whatever it is in life. The only reason we can take delight in these things is because of God who wants us to delight in them and to take joy in them. But in this life, we have to be careful and we have to walk this delicate balancing act. We can, we can undervalue or overlook God's gifts in one hand. We can, we can complain about his gifts and neglect them and not see them as gifts. No, God, I don't want this gift. No, thank you. I'm going to write on it, return to sender, and send it back. Or we can overvalue and be consumed by the gifts to the point that they become idols in our heart, and we refuse to acknowledge God as the giver of the gifts and enjoy them to his glory, and rather instead we enjoy them to our glory, and they consume us, and we become pursuers of the gifts rather than the God who gives gifts. So we can push them aside, get, get rid of them, or we can grasp them tightly, too tightly in our hands. And rather, Scripture calls us to hold the gifts of God with an open hand. I've received this from God, and I'm going to enjoy it to his glory, and I'm going to use it for his glory in the recognition that he can take it from me at any moment as he sees fit. The gifts are vehicles and a means to enjoy God, not for my own sinful purposes and pleasures. And I'm going to receive it and I'm going to acknowledge it as gifts rather than pushing them aside. So we have to be constantly on our guard in this life, constantly on guard with our hearts and our motives. Because we are frequently tempted to complain or be less than content on one side and we're tempted to idolatry on the other side. One Bible translation uh, puts it this way in its notes, quote, God must grant a person the ability to enjoy the fruit of his labor. Otherwise, a person will not be able to enjoy his possessions and wealth. The ability to partake of the fruit of one's labor and to find satisfaction and joy in it is a gift from God, end quote. So it's a double blessing. The skill, the possession, the life, the children, the long life, they're a gift from God, and then the enjoyment of them is also a gift from God. On top of that, and who alone can truly enjoy all of these gifts as gifts from God except those who have come to God by faith in Jesus Christ? Those of us who have that above-the-sun perspective that sees and recognizes and acknowledges that, oh, everything that I have has come from God. It's not something I've acquired in my own strength and power. It's not something that I'm called to hoard up for myself and be, be miserly with. It's something that God has given to me to enjoy and to bless others with as well. 
That too is enjoyment of the possessions. This is only true for you and me as believers. Christ not only allows us to look forward to that life to come when this delicate balancing act will be no more and we will have full and perfect enjoyment of God and eternal life, Christ also enables us to enjoy the things of the life in the here and now in our pilgrimage towards eternity. Though we always are called to enjoy them with an open hand, recognizing that just as easily as God sent them to us, so easily he can take them away from us. This brings us to verses 7 through 9 where Solomon asks, Will we ever be satisfied? That's the, that's the second point. Will we ever be satisfied? And Philip Ryken sums up these three verses like this, quote, If people have trouble enjoying life, if satisfaction is not guaranteed no matter how long we live, then maybe we could avoid disappointment by wanting less out of life. The trouble is is that we always have an appetite for more. We always have an appetite for more. End quote. Look at verse 7. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. Solomon looks at what we do physically with our mouths. We eat with our mouths, and it satisfies us for a moment, but sooner or later we get hungry again, do we not? He looks at what we do physically, and he says that that is an analogy to what is going on in our heart. The desires of our hearts can momentarily be satisfied, whether it's food or clothing or children or possessions or power, but eventually we become dissatisfied and the craving returns for more. I want more than what I have. I want more money, more power, more prestige, more possessions, more children. In Solomon's case, more wives. I want more, I want more, I want more. The physical satisfaction of the things of this life can never satisfy the soul. And the soul is much more difficult to satisfy than the body is. And this leads Solomon to question in verse 8. What advantage has the wise man over the fool? What advantage does the wise man have over the fool if, if the appetites of both are not satisfied? The advantage that the wise has over the fool is that the wise person recognizes that God calls us to enjoy the things of this life. And we are enabled by God to enjoy them, whereas the fool misses it completely. The fool doesn't fear God, and so he or she thinks that they have attained everything by their own strength and their own ability, and they refuse to give glory to God, and they forget that even the ability to acquire wealth comes from the sovereign God of the universe. The wise person makes good use of the ability to enjoy, while the fool wastes it away with an insatiable desire and hunger for more and more. And this leads to another better than statement in verse 9. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. In verse 8, he asks another question. What does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Even the poor person has an advantage over the wealthy fool 
because the fool is controlled by the appetites of the heart, while a poor person understands he cannot always live controlled by his appetites, controlled by his or her desires. The poor person can, so to speak, enjoy the bird in the hand, whereas the fool is constantly chasing the two in the bush and consequently missing out on what is in the hand. As Benjamin Shaw puts it, quote, learning to control one's appetite is the way of wisdom. So can we and will we ever be satisfied? Yes. Yes. But only in Christ Jesus. Through Christ, we can learn to be content with much or with little and enjoy whatever our situation may be. Through Christ, we can enjoy whatever we have, every aspect and facet of our being. Everything in this life is, is temporary, and so we need to, to watch over our hearts and guard them. But we can enjoy them for now without being anxious toward the future, because in Christ we understand that God is in control and that his providence, whether it is good or whether it is sorrowful, is ultimately designed to bring him greater glory and is designed for our good. In Christ, we can work and toil and be satisfied and lay down our heads in sweet and peaceful sleep. Only in Christ are we enabled to live out 1 Corinthians 10.31, which says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, including enjoying the things of this life that you have. Because as 1 Timothy 4.4 says, Everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. As Dr. Belcher puts it, quote, the enjoyment of God's good gifts should come from a heart of thanksgiving. We are not looking for an escape from the troubles of life, and that's what the fool and all the people under the sun are trying to do. We are not looking for an escape from the troubles of life, but we look to use what good gifts God has given us for our benefit and his glory. We understand that there is more to life than what we experience in this life. We know that one day we will be rich, so we are free to use the wealth of this world for the glory of God. We are not concerned about taking it with us, because we realize that what we will receive in the next life is far greater than anything we can receive in this life. End quote. This is the balanced view to which scripture calls you and me with regard to everything that we have in life, from, from our minds, our, our hearts, our desires, our, our skills, our abilities, everything that we have, pleasure, work, friends, all the things of this life. This is the balanced view to which scripture calls us. And this view is only imparted to us who have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything else is hebel, temporary, empty, fleeting, apart from Christ, who enables us to use everything we possess rightly and to enjoy our possessions rightly. And so this text calls us to reflect upon our hearts. Where is my heart today? Where is your heart today? Think about Christmas time. Think about 
if you're a child, think about being a child or think back to when you were a child and your parents gave you a gift. Can you imagine ripping that gift from your parents' hands? Saying, it's mine, it's my own, it's my precious, I got this gift. And forgetting that it came from your parents. Can you imagine opening that present up? Why did you give me this worthless present? No, take it back, this isn't what I wanted. Can you imagine either of those things? That's what the temptations are in our life with the things that our Heavenly Father has given us as good gifts. We can either close our hands to them and forget about God completely and make them idols, or we can say, no thanks. I'm going to wait until you give me something that's on my wish list. This isn't what I asked for. Is your heart like this? Thank you, Lord, for giving this to me. Thank you, Lord, for my husband. Thank you, Lord, for my spouse, for my wife. Thank you, Lord, for my children. You gave this wonderful spouse to me. You gave these wonderful children to me, and you can take them from me. But until then, I'm going to enjoy them. I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to steward them, and I'm going to enjoy them to your glory. Thank you, Lord, for, for my hobbies. Thank you, Lord, for my interests. I'm going to enjoy Alabama football to your glory. Yes, it is possible to enjoy sports to the glory of God, as long as they don't become an idol and don't let them control your life. This is the attitude. God calls us to open hands, receiving his gifts and enjoying his gifts to his glory. Where is your heart today? Amen and amen.